Hey, good morning. Good to see each of y'all this morning. There are people that's online. Good to have y'all with us this morning. Well, we've had a, uh, a nice week this week. Didn't have all that rain. And now, in a week or two, we'll be wishing we had a little rain. So, good to have each of you here this morning. If you're visiting for the first time, good to have you. And uh, we just invite you back to come back and worship with us. Uh, yeah, thank the ones that's online uh, this morning. Also, uh, we have the children's church. We'll be dismissing and going into the children's church. If you wanted to go down and check that out, it's just straight out the back of the church down the hall. And uh, you can go down and do that. Also, if you're giving this morning, you can uh, give to go to Cypress Street Church, give, or you can drop it in the box or give it to to one of us, and we'll turn that in for you. Uh, today at 3 p.m., uh, we are singing at the guest house, and I think it's been a while since we've been able to do that, but with the uh, COVID situation and everything, we were able to start that back this week. Also, uh, Wednesday evening, we've got... Uh, service with uh, Carvin Adams. He'll be with us this week for Bible studies. So we just ask that if you're able, please come out and be with us. And uh, next Sunday, uh, we'll have worship service, and Brother Ray will be with us for that. So we just ask that you be back. Again, thank you each for being here today. And uh, I'd like to open worship this morning with Romans uh, 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve, and God's will is his good pleasing and perfect will. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. Thank you for the blessings you've given us through this past week and making it possible for us to come back to your house to worship together this morning, Lord. Thank you for the love that you have for each of us, and we just ask that you be in our service this morning, Lord. And we just ask all this in your name. Amen. We had quite a few number of birthdays this month in September. We have Avery Kite, Chris McConnell, Sandy Adams, Donna Vickery, Mike Tucker, Miss Shirley Kay, John Spires, Barrett Stevenson, Miss Annie Balsamo, Kenneth Coates, and Caleb Foray. We wish you a happy birthday, and we're going to sing it to you as well right now. Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday, God bless you, happy birthday to you. We have an anniversary, Charles and Kim Trichelle, let's remember that. Happy anniversary to you, happy anniversary. Three. 
right. <laughs> Won't you stand with us this morning? We're going to be singing some of our old faithful hymns, Standing on the Promises. If you're tired and 
need to be seated, please feel free to do that. We'll finish this by singing, Build My Life. That doesn't apply to you, LM. I'm the oldest. <laughs>
You may be seated. Children, it's time for you to go to your classes. Here comes your pretty music. Good morning again. On our prayer request this week, we ask that you continue to pray for our pastoral candidates. Pray for them. We've got one that's uh, him and his family and wife's been praying about the possibility of coming here. So just be praying that God will send the one that he's got for us here. Also, Pastor Steve Nelson is doing better. So just continue to pray for him and his family. Uh, Donna Sprangler, Jerry Crane, Steve Weeks, Larry Lawson, uh, Casey Kent family, Dennis Robinson, Adam Stevenson. And Adam, good to have you here this morning. I hope things are going better. I know you're dealing with that eye this week, so. The Soa family, uh, Mabel Saxton, pastor released in China. Thank the Lord for that. And uh, our COVID situation is still sort of hanging around. The flooding in Jackson, some of those people have, have really been through uh, a lot of stress over there. So just remember them. Brother Lowry and Miss Shirley, just keep them in your prayers. And our neighbor's daughter, we found out yesterday afternoon, her name is uh, Candace Franklin, that she uh, has math, mouth cancer. She's going back to MD Anderson this week. So just remember to pray for her. They're, they're going to be checking to see if they're going to have to replace also a bone in her jaw. If the cancer, we just pray that the cancer has not got that far. So just remember her, and that's Candace Franklin. If you have any prayer requests, you can call the church, and it's in the bulletin also if you need. You can text to the family group. Just contact Karen Odom, and that number is in here. Thank each of you for being here this morning. Uh, Brother Carvin's got the service this morning. And Brother Carvin, we just thank you for the love that you have for God and have for this church and our people. And thank you for being here with us this morning. We just ask you to come and pray, please, and start the service. Shall we pray? 
Loving Father, what an honor it is to even approach you, to be able to call you our Father, to know that you love us more than we could ever imagine. We bring these needs that were mentioned to you today, knowing that you are not only our creator, but our sustainer, our healer. And we ask that you just give each person who needs these prayers the assurance right now that you know about them. You go take care of their problems. And this morning we pray for the anointing of this message. I desire that we all hear from you, that your spirit will have the opportunity to take your word, your living word, and plant it into our hearts. Anoint me for the presentation. Anoint our hearts, our ears, and minds to receive what you have to say to us. And may each one of us leave this place being encouraged, more, just built up, fortified, even challenged to make sure we're doing everything that you'd have us to do, that, to make sure that we're the people you've called us to be. So, Father, we commit this time of worship to you and give you all the glory and praise. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Appreciate each one of you being here this morning. As you'll notice from our text, from your outlines, the sermon comes from Matthew, the seventh chapter, but I want to go back to chapter four to give us a little background as to what led to this, what we call the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's chapters five, six, and seven. Following Jesus' baptism by John the Baptist in the River Jordan, he was led into the wilderness for a period of approximately 40 days where he fasted. He prayed as he was getting ready to start his public ministry. And during that time, he was uh, sorely tempted by Satan, but overcome all these, these temptations. And then according to Matthew, the fourth chapter, verse 17, it says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Or the other gospel writers call it the kingdom of God, which is the same thing. Matthew always used the kingdom of heaven because he had such a reverence for the name of God. He would not even write it down. Uh, the early scribes, anytime they were writing the Old Testament and came to the word God, they would get a new quill write God, and then throw that one away and write the rest of the manuscript. Such a reverence that we sometimes don't see in our culture today. And we, today, sometimes people use the word God in a very careless and sometimes even sinful manner. But he began to preach the kingdom of God. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Meaning I've come to establish a kingdom, not a worldly kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom in the hearts of all those who accept me as their personal savior. So he did that according to Matthew 4, 17. In verse 19, Scripture tells us he called his first disciples. He says, come follow me. I will send you out to fish for people. This would have been not only the 12 apostles, but other disciples that began to follow him. And then by the time we get to verse 25 in chapter 4, it says, Great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. In other words, a lot of people were following him wherever he went to just listen to what he had to say. 
By the time we get to chapter 5 of Matthew, verses 1 and 2, we read these words. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down, and sat down not because he was tired, but because that was the standard position or posture of a teacher in his culture. He sat down. Then it says his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And then in Matthew's chapters 5, 6, and 7, we have the longest sermon recorded of Jesus. We oftentimes call this the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus was on the side of a mountain looking down upon all the people that had come to listen to him teach. This Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7, in my opinion, contained most, if not all, of Jesus' main teachings about how to come into the kingdom of God and how to live as disciples of Jesus Christ. In fact, there's a series, I've preached, I think, 15 different sermons going all the way through these, but this morning I'll spare you that, that tragedy and just share with you from Matthew, the seventh chapter, verses 21 through 27. Let's look at these together. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. In other words, he's saying, not everyone who professes to be my disciple, not everyone who goes to the synagogues and supposedly worship God, not everyone who says I'm a Christian are indeed Christian. Verse 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell you plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Verse 24 is our main text. Therefore, anytime you see the word therefore in scripture, it's there for a certain reason. We need to find out what that reason is. And in this case, it goes back to the verses I just read. So as a connection, now he's going to give them a parable to emphasize and enforce this fact that not everyone is going into the kingdom of God. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Some of you know that before I went into the ministry, from the ages of 18 to 30, I was in uh, construction. I attended Northeast at that time. Was, had, they had a major called building construction and I minored in business. That was my calling. That was my, my profession in life. And it, as I studied the courses and then as I got into the actual construction uh, world itself, I understood that the foundation of any building regardless of what it is, whether it be a house or a high-rise. We worked on high-rise buildings in Houston, 22, 23 floors high. The foundation of that building is the most critical part of the construction. For it alone 
will determine the stability, the integrity, and the longevity of that building. A contractor might get by to some degree by having inferior construction on the walls, the ceilings, and the roofs, but not on the foundation. In fact, that's one reason I-20 is such a bad uh, interstate highway. I had a friend up in Arkansas that drove through here quite often on, uh, as a driver. He said, it is the worst interstate I have to travel on. You know why? The contractor didn't go by the specs. He didn't lay a firm foundation going through a lot of the wetlands of uh, northern Louisiana, and therefore it began to, to settle. You all have heard of the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Uh, construction started in 11, I think, 73. And after they got it built, they estimated that it weighed about 14,000 tons. And about five years after construction, by the year about uh, 1180, it began on one side to sink. And I mean sink severely because it came out of plumb 15 feet. I mean, if you go to the top of the tower on the lower side and drop a plumb line, which is a line with a weight at the bottom, then measure at the bottom from that plumb line over to the base of the building, it was 15 feet out of plumb and could easily topple over in the near future. So engineers began to try to correct that and eventually they have to a great extent by pumping concrete under the lower foundation, the low side, and now they've got it within only 19 inches out of plumb rather than 15 feet. But the name of the tower, Pisa, P-I-S-A, suggest why it began to lean. Pisa in Latin means marsh. It'd be like in Louisiana trying to build a structure without putting down a foundation. I remember when I was a student at Northeast, they were building a building right next to the one where I had a lot of my class, and they had a, a pile driver driving down big crystal posts. Oh, those things must have been 40 or 50 feet long, and it constantly pounded, shake the whole building. They were establishing a firm foundation on which to build a three or four story house. In our parable today in Matthew 7, I think some people see this as only a children's story. If you were raised in the church as I was, we learned it back, what, five, six years old. Went through all the hand motions. The wise man built his house upon the rock. The rains came down, the floods came up, the waters came up. We all knew that. I doubt there was a single kid there listening when Jesus gave this parable. It's not necessarily meant for children because Matthew 1 says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. It says nothing about children, although there might have been a few children in there, but his primary reason for giving this parable was to teach his disciples, the 12 apostles, all the others that wanted to follow him, to teach them something important about being a disciple of Jesus Christ and coming into the kingdom of God. In my opinion, Matthew's chapters 5, 6, and 7, if a person did not have any other verses, chapters, or books of the Bible, 
if they would have just apply Matthews 5, 6, and 7, that would be sufficient for them to come into the kingdom of God. Because Jesus basically, as I said earlier, covers all of his major teachings in just those three chapters. And in this parable this morning, I want to just lift out three truths that I saw as I was working on it and share it with you. Number one, the storms of life are inevitable. Verses 25 through 27. It says the rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains came down, the streams rose. And the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. After we moved back to Louisiana two years ago in August, you may recall we experienced one hurricane that came across our area. First time in recorded history that a tropical storm was still a hurricane when it hit us. And then a couple weeks later, I believe it was, another tropical storm uh, came up the coast and, and uh, did some damage around us. We suffered a little damage to our house, but nothing real severe. It was during that time I was watching a documentary on construction. Engineers were trying to develop or design houses that could withstand a Category 3 hurricane. So they built a, a house according to their specs, reinforced this, the floors, the walls, the ceiling, the roofs, everything. Then they had a regular house built over here by none uh, hurricane codes. And then they had large fans that blew against those two houses at winds up to 100 miles an hour for 10 minutes. The house that wasn't built according to hurricane standards fell, completely tore it up. But the house that was built to their standards to withstand hurricanes, very little damage at all. In fact, it was just cosmetic. And one of the engineers at the end of the program asked this question, and I quote, which house would you rather be living in? Which house would you rather be living in during a storm? According to this parable, Jesus said the storm hit both houses. It hit the house that was built on the rock, according to verse 25. It, it hit the house that was built on the sand in verses 26 and 27. That tells me that regardless of what you're building your house upon today, regardless of whether you are currently a disciple of Jesus Christ and following him in obedience or whether you don't claim to be a follower at all, every one of us will suffer to some degree these storms in life. It may be storms that come about because of our poor judgment or bad decisions we've made, not necessarily sin. But many storms are the result of sin, either our own or the sins of this world in general. Let me just share with you quickly the results of the first sin of Adam and Eve when it was in the garden. This is recorded in Genesis, the third chapter. You realize that God told them you can eat of all the trees of the garden except for one. And, of course, they disobeyed. And this is what came as a result. Genesis 3.8 says, 
Then the man and his wife, as be Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid themselves from God. Why? Fear. Fear. Fear that uh, they would be punished because of their sins, which, which they were. Fear would have never entered the picture without the sin of man. Next, he said that the woman would have greater pain in childbirth. Verse 16, the woman, he said, I will make your pain in childbearing more severe. He also told her another result of their sin. She would have to be submissive to her husband. I wish I could take about an hour to preach on that what I want. He says, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you, of course, in love. Next, painful toil. He says, cursed is the ground because of you through painful toil. You will eat food from it all the days of your life. I've heard someone say, work is a punishment from God. No, it's not. He put Adam and Eve in the garden to work it, to tend to it, but painful toll. Work without any enjoyment. Work that you hate to get up and go to, to the job the mornings is an indirect cause of the sins of Adam and Eve. And maybe cause a poor judgment on our parts at times. Then next came physical death. He says, he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. I'm going to say something very controversial, but I, I believe it. I don't think it was God's will that man ever die physically. See, there was the tree of life. They could have eaten of it, God said, and live forever. But because of the sin in their lives, then they suffered physical death. And that physical death is passed down to every one of us because Paul writes in Romans 5.12, just as sin entered the world through one man, which is, of course, Adam, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people. And then the last consequences of that sin was spiritual death or separation from God. So the Lord, the God, banished him, being Adam and Eve, from the garden. And Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. We bring some of the storms upon ourselves. But some storms we experience are for no apparent reason or no fault of ourselves. I think of young Joseph. Uh, his brothers were jealous of him. Sold him into slavery. He was taken down into Egypt and there falsely accused of making advances to Potiphar's wife was put into prison before he eventually was elevated to second in command of all Egypt. I think of Job, the scripture says that God said of him, the most righteous person in his land. But you know how he suffered. Lost all ten children in one accident. Lost his health. Lost all of his financial uh, holdings, his uh, resources, physical resources. Lost the respect of even his closest friends. They said, surely you have died or you have sinned or God would not have brought all this on you. I think of Paul, the missionary that gave up his position as a, a Pharisee and then was persecuted more than probably any other missionary we know of. The Bible is full of, of godly men and women who experienced very difficult times not because of their fault, not because of their sins but simply because we live in a world that is marked 
and deprived because of sin. This is one reason Jesus said, build your house on the rock, upon him. For the storms are going to come. They will blow against you. They will beat against you. It is inevitable. All of us will experience the storms of life. The second thing I see in this text, those who build their lives on Jesus Christ are indestructible. Verse 25. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. This is the major difference between those who follow Jesus Christ and those who don't. Those who follow Jesus Christ have the capacity have the means. They have that foundation, that solid rock, which is Jesus, and they are able to withstand any storms that come their way. You may have heard of uh, Horatio Spatford of the late uh, 1800s. A Christian businessman in Chicago. He suffered three great storms almost back to back. First, his four-year-old son died. And then secondly, second, there was this uh, big fire in Chicago. We call it the Chicago Fire, 1871. And he was financially wiped out because he had invested most of his, his uh, money in real estate. And he lost most of it. He was planning to go to England with his family to help D.L. Moody, the evangelist, do some evangelistic crusades in that part of Europe. But because of this financial loss of the Chicago fire, he felt like he had to stay in Chicago to take care of some business. But he sent his wife Anna and their four daughters on a ship headed towards England. While they were uh, crossing the Atlantic, the ship went down, it sank, it hit another ship. I have never understood how ships in a big ocean can hit each other. I mean, stay miles apart. I don't know what happened, but it sank, and all four of his daughters drowned in that accident. Only his wife was saved out of that family, and she sent him back a telegram with just two words, saved alone, end of quote, meaning I am the only one of our family left except for you. He quickly booked passage on another ship, headed to England, he told the navigator, says, when you get over the spot where my daughters died, let me know. And they advised him that they were near this, this spot, didn't know exactly, but then he wrote these words. I'll just read uh, three lines of it, or three sentences, uh, not the whole thing. And I quote, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise God. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. And Lord, hasten the day when the faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. And even so, it is well with my soul. And to quote one of the most beautiful hymns I know that have been written. Have you ever wondered how the early Christians withstood the persecution under Emperor Nero? Nero had a patio for his parties and he would get early Christians 
literally tie them to stakes around his patio, pour oil on them and set them on fire as he celebrated with his friends. Nero said, I like to burn Christians because they give off a nice green glow. Can you think of anything more demonic than him? I do crossword puzzles on the computer every day just to try to keep my mind uh, still working. And almost always when it asks something about the notorious Roman emperor, it is Nero, N-E-R-O. He is noted for killing some of his own family, his children, his wives, because he didn't want them to inherit his throne. Have you ever wondered how the saints of the 15th and 16th centuries were willing to die during the Reformation movement when the Catholic Church was trying to kill all Protestants? Probably about 15 years ago, I was in Lima, Peru, visited a new museum that had just uh, opened up while I was waiting for my plane to leave, come back. And it was about the Spanish Inquisition that took place in Latin America. The Catholic Church was trying to kill all Protestants. The Catholic Church forbid this to be open for, ooh, since 1530s. And I went in, I saw the torture chambers. One of them was a rack. They tied the two man's hands up like this. His legs were tied to another rope. And then they started cranking this large gear until it literally pulled the joints apart and the person died. How could Christians go through that and not submit to the authorities? Their lives were built on Jesus Christ. There is no more firm foundation. They were literally indestructible as far as their spirit was controlled or in control. Uh, in, their bodies could die, but not the spirit. You may think that pastors do not experience the storms of life. Uh, I've been in the ministry for over 45 years. I've had more trials and tribulations as a pastor than any other vocation I ever had. We have our struggles. And then we probably have more than you because we usually take your problems, your storms, and put them upon ourselves. Why should we build on our house or lives on Jesus Christ? The storms are going to come. Yeah, we can evade some of them, but not all of them. But only those who build their houses on Jesus Christ are indestructible. One last thing I would like to share with you that I see in this parable, and that is the consequences of building on the sand are inescapable. Uh, there's no way around it. Verse 26 and 27. Let me read that again. Everyone who hears these words of mine and, puts not, and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds beat, blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. I see two consequences in this text for those who are building their lives on something other than Jesus Christ, and that is, A, the inability to withstand the storms of life. There are some storms in life that are, are, are so severe, and I've already mentioned some of them, that it's literally impossible to be able to survive unless you have Jesus Christ in your life. Some people are defeated by the loss of a loved one. We were talking earlier, 
not the, with the Zanya Carrie about the little girl that died. Uh, I think I've preached four or five funerals of babies that were just a few days old or up to 10 days, and that's some of the hardest funerals to ever preach when a mother and a dad have lost their little baby from God. Others are defeated by sicknesses, especially chronic diseases that there's no relief, doctors cannot help. I think I've shared this with you before, but when I was doing research for a book that I published last year on my French family, uh, one of my grandmothers who lived in Quebec, her family was some of the earliest settlers there. Her name was Maria Elizabeth Lesieur. In 1756, after already losing her, her husband to death, she lost eight of her 13 children to death in just nine weeks. Eight out of 13. I knew a woman in Ecuador. In fact, she made me a, a, a hat out of straw. She lost, I think she said, seven or six kids out of a dozen or so. Uh, just tragic. I don't know how anybody can imagine going through that, how they cope unless they have Jesus Christ in their lives. For some people, these storms are financial difficulties, as it was for the songwriter who wrote, It is well with my soul. For some, it may be the breakup of the family or the marriage. If we are not building our lives firmly on Jesus Christ, which is the only thing that's going to stand, the only thing that is eternal except for our souls, there will come a time when we will literally be overwhelmed by those storms. The second inescapable consequence is more severe than the, the first. It's item B in your outlines. And that is the inability to withstand the storms of God's judgment. And really, this is the key verse or the purpose for which Jesus gave this whole parable. Look again at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And then verse 24, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. You do not have to be a theologian or a farmer to understand a basic principle. We reap what we sow. I started working for the public when I was just 14 years old over in West Carroll Parish. Uh, Jalak Conrad, his dad was a farmer. I started working on, on farms. And I learned very quickly, if you plant cotton, you're going to reap cotton unless the bow weevils eat it up. You plant soybeans, you'll get soybeans. You plant sweet potatoes, you'll get sweet potatoes. Paul says, do not be conceived. A man reaps what he sows. Not only do we reap what we sow, we usually reap more than we sow. good example of that is Adam and Eve. Or another example, you remember David, one of the greatest leaders of Israel, one who really had a heart for God most of the time until he committed adultery with Bathsheba and then had her husband killed. You remember what Nathan the prophet said to him? He said, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity up on you. And you know all the consequences of that sin? The baby that was conceived in that adulterous act 
died when just seven days old. I know it. We can't explain why the innocent have to be punished or reap the benefits of someone else's sin, but that's often the case. Even the innocents, like children, often suffer because of sin. Then one of his sons raped his half-sister. Another son, Absalom, killed that boy, his own brother. And then he took David's throne away from him, and he took some of his wives, and David had to run for his life. But Absalom was eventually killed himself. The consequences of not building one's life on Jesus Christ are inescapable. You might escape them in this lifetime, but Jesus says not in the end. How then can we build our lives on Jesus? Verses 21 to 24, let me read it again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? In other words, didn't we work in the church? Didn't we hold a, a position as an elder or a deacon or whatever? Verse 23, I will tell them quickly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. I put in your outline a practical application, two things in order to build your house on the rock. Number one, listen to Jesus. Sounds so simple, but absolutely necessary. Verse 24, everyone who hears these words of mine is like the wise man who built his house upon the rock. Listen to God. You may say, how do you do that? I don't know how you do it. Sometimes in a worship service you'll hear him speak. Sometimes it might be listening to Christian music. For me personally, the most opportune time God can get to me and get my attention is when I'm reading His Word and His Holy Spirit begins to reveal to me what God is saying, not only in His Word but to my heart. We cannot expect to build our lives on Jesus Christ unless we are in position to hear Him when He speaks. It won't be a loud, thundering voice on most occasions. It is usually when we are less busy, when we are quiet and alone and ready for God to speak. Then we have to secondly obey Jesus. Just very simple. Verse 24. Put them, which says, referring to the words of God, into practice, as verse 21 said. Put it into practice. This is basically what James said when he wrote his letter to the church. He said, do not merely listen to the word, but do what it says. Oftentimes, I would say probably most of the time, when we are confronted with a great storm or difficulty or trial in our lives, the first thing we ask is, why? Why me, Lord? I've been following you. Haven't I been doing my best? Yes, oftentimes that's the case. Why am I going through this difficult time in my life? That's a valid question. 
Scripture addresses that and answers it in various uh, ways throughout, especially the New Testament. But I have found for me, I, I seldom ask why anymore. I just say, what can I learn from it? What are you trying to teach me right now? Uh, I consider my health to be fairly good for my age. But I've had back trouble ever since I was 16, bulging discs and all kinds of problems. And occasionally I'll just do something wrong or get up in the morning and it completely goes out and I'll be on my knees for about three days. Those are the times God really, really gets my attention. And I ask him, what are you trying to teach me now? Maybe I've been too busy doing good works, sermon preparation, teaching, or, or whatever. And maybe it's the time that God can say, now that I've got your attention, let me show you something. I say, Lord, you got my attention. Relieve me of this pain and I will listen. So instead of always asking why, and I said, there's nothing wrong with that. But I can tell you many reasons why, according to Scripture. Realize there's only one person that can ultimately help you. Yeah, pastors can help to a degree. Your Christian brothers and sisters can. Your biological family can help. But only one person will understand completely. Only one person understood when I was in the worst time of my life. When I almost had a nervous breakdown. I'd get up to speak and could barely do it. And I won't go into the circumstances of what happened. Only God understood me completely. Only He got me through the next three years as I continued to pastor. So I ask you this morning, on what, upon whom are you building your life? I'm going to ask that you bow your heads and please be in an attitude of prayer as you reflect upon what I have tried to share with you this morning as our worship team comes forward to lead us into a few verses of an invitation. Most of you, perhaps all of you, are saved. You accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You know what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. But maybe you haven't been listening too closely to Him lately. Maybe you're having a difficult time in your life. And you're looking for answers. You're looking for assistance. You're looking for help. And you know as well as I do that Jesus can help you. You may want to come to a place of prayer this morning up here. If you'd like to just pray by yourself, you can come to these front pews. You can sit there, stand, whatever. I won't bother you. But if you'd like for me to pray with you, I'm going to ask that you come to the altar so I'll know. Whatever need that you may have in your life this morning, if God is speaking to you, I hope you'll respond in a positive way. Let us stand as we sing a few verses of an invitation.
for us building a solid foundation through God. Thank each one has come out today. We just ask that you uh, come back with us next week. If you notice somebody that's not here today, give them a call and just tell them you missed them. Good to have each of you here. Hope you have a good week. And after we dismiss, the ones uh, can go to the circles. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. We thank you for the opportunity to come back out to love for us, Lord. We just pray that each of us, Lord, will seek you daily. Seek you daily to build a foundation, a solid foundation on our life. To show your love to other people, Lord, and to live the life that you how for us. We just ask that you go with us. Be with us, Lord. Ask us in your name. Amen.